to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, and we'll be starting today in verse 23. We're going to be taking a break from the book of Romans, both this week and next, and actually for a few weeks after that, to really focus on this thing that we call the caring community which, of course, is our emphasis for this whole ministry year. We're going to focus this week and next on what, in a lot of ways, is the heart and soul of a caring community, and that is the unique kind of fellowship that uh, we experience in a small group context. How many of you have ever been in a small group? Quite a number of you. We've got a good percentage of of you that are in uh, groups at DCC, much higher than is the average for many churches, and so we're building on strength here. And that's a great thing to be able to do. We'll see that in a small group context, there's a unique kind of fellowship, that there's a unique, that works a, a, really a special kind of magic. And it really is a magic, as we're going to see, through a unique kind of encouragement in a place that is a greenhouse for love. And we're going to be looking at just what that place, where it is, and what it looks like. And God only knows how much we need this kind of encouragement, this fellowship, this stimulation in uh, love and truth. How desperately the church in America needs this special kind of magic. When so many are fallen away from the faith as is never before in the history, I think, of our country. One of the main concerns of the book of Hebrews is just that, the danger of falling away from the faith. It's far easier than we might think, sometimes without even knowing it. In fact, it says towards the beginning of Hebrews, in Hebrews 3.12, it says, Be careful, dear brothers and sisters, and I'm quoting from the New Living Bible here, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. We've all got an evil and unbelieving flesh in us that so subtly and yet so powerfully can take over. You may have heard about the high percentage of kids who lose their faith when they transition from middle school to high school. I fell away from my faith in high school, and I'm telling you, you don't want to go there. You may also have heard about the well over, I think, 60-70% of high school graduates who, who do keep their faith in high school but then go on to secular universities to lose it. And those who survive all of that, you know, become part of a Christian world which can perhaps be even more deadly. A country full of people who call themselves Christians, but a good majority don't act like Christians. All the surveys bear this out. And so you can legitimately question whether, in fact, they are Christians. Interestingly, though, of those that attend church, all the surveys show that their lives are different than the culture. Power of being a caring community. So many, though, are more like frogs in the kettle. And how do you keep that from happening? Well, it's easy. By turning from being frogs in the kettle and coming together to be like logs in a fire, without which we would burn out, without which our fire would grow dim. One of the most important questions I think that we need to be asking in our day and age is is this. How do we keep from slip-sliding Away. How can we keep on fire for the Lord like the burning bush, without, on fire without being consumed? Remember that? Used without being used up. Where is the source of the power and of the love that we have to give to the world? How can we as parents set the example so that our kids won't slip side away? 
Well, Hebrews goes on to answer that question in chapter 10, starting in verse 23, where he says, without wavering, again, I'm using the, uh, the New Living Translation, without wavering, much less slip sliding away, without even wavering, let us hold tightly to the hope that we say we have. He's saying, let's not slip slide away. Let's not even waver. And how do you do that? How do you hold tightly? Well, that's the next verse. Two of the classic verses in Scripture, Hebrews 10, 24, then 25. Again, in the Living Bible Translation, he says, think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. That's the opposite of sliding away. And how does that happen? Well, that's the next verse, Hebrews 10.25. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, as those do whose sin statistics are the same as the world, all the Christians who stay out there. Let's not be like that. And how does that happen? Well, by getting in here. Then things change. But encourage uh, and warn each other, it says, Especially as the, that, uh, now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. That's what we read at the beginning of the service. Now, this is a good part of the answer to the, a, a clear and present danger that confronted the early church back then, that Hebrews was in good part addressing, and that confronts us today, and that is turning away from the living God. And the first thing is this. It almost goes without saying. The magic that can happen through this unique kind of encouragement won't happen if you're alone, if you're solitary, if you're a mountain hermit or whatever. Let us not neglect our meeting together. He's talking about really being together, where we know one another well enough to encourage each other to outbursts of love and good deeds in an ever-darkening world. For those of you who are in small groups, don't you feel kind of encouraged usually when you leave kind of filled up? That's the Holy Spirit that comes together in a unique way when we're gathered together. Filled for outbursts of love and good deeds. It's like the hymn that we just sang, really. The church is one foundation. It's one of my favorites. It says, yet she on earth hath union with God, the three in one. And then what's second only to that in priority and in power? Yet she herself hath union to God, the three in one. Um, the second only to that is when we taste the community that we call the Trinity. We can taste it down here when we enjoy, next line, mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. Come together and rest and taste what's up there through mystic sweet communion that we were made to live on. So important is this unique kind of communion that he calls encouragement that he doesn't just talk about it here in chapter 10 at the end of the book, but at the beginning of the book too and in chapter 3, which we quoted when it came to falling away. These commands not to neglect our meeting together are kind of like on the, the bookends on the book of Hebrews. So important are they. Chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Therefore encourage, same word. That's the bottom line of what's supposed to happen. When we're doing encourage one another day by day, not just intermittently, you know, once a month, day by day, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's saying it's going to be one or the other. The idea here is that you keep from slip sliding away by not forsaking, but rather by frequenting a certain kind of place in the church 
where you're encouraged. A place that's a laboratory for life. A place that's a greenhouse for love. Or at least it can be. Did you know that your home, far more than this building, can be a greenhouse for love? It doesn't happen when you just come once or twice a month, which is the average of those who do attend church in America. Even at once or twice a month, statistics show they're significantly different from other Christians. But that's not enough. It can go so much deeper. That is shallow, really, compared to what true Christianity should be all about. It doesn't happen when we meet together in an assembly like this just once or twice a month. Anything like it happens anyway when we get to know each other day by day. That's regular fellowship. By fellowshipping with one another in a fellowship that is regular uh, and real. He's talking about finding a place in the church that will keep you rooted by stimulating growth. A place that will keep you growing by working a special kind of magic that comes through a unique kind of encouragement. Larry Crabb put it this way. When Christians really connect with one another, something is poured, and I like this, something is poured out of one into the other. Mystic, sweet communion. Something good is in the heart of, every, of each of God's children that is more powerful than everything bad. It's there waiting to be released to work its magic. This is the meaning of the church as the body of Christ. It's where we nourish one another with the transcendent power that raised up Christ from the dead and that can now flow through each of us to others and through others back to us. There's nothing like it. Some of you, many of you have tasted it. And that power, the power of the resurrected Christ, can really flow through this thing that we call encouragement. It's uh, 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 parakaluntes in the Greek, and it means two things. One word means two things in the Greek language. The, the New American Standard translates it encourage, and the King James translates it exhort. And the differences are because both are in one word, which is why I read the New Living Translation, because it includes both. Remember, it said encourage and warn each other. Splits it out, because both are in there. Because it has to do with telling people both good news and bad news. It has to do, you might say, with warming one another, W-A-R-M-I-N-G, and warning one another, as in W-A-R-N-I-N-G. It has to do with warming and warning. Really, overall, parakaluntes means really speaking the truth in love whether by encouraging or exhorting. It means that we stimulate one another to stay true in the narrow way. We help each other. We help keep each other from, you know, sleepwalking down this gentle slope of the American way that leads to the pit of hell. We keep that from slip-sliding away by speaking the truth in love. And the magic happens when it's mixed in the right way with encouragement and with exhortation, with being courageous enough to confront on one hand and being compassionate enough to encourage on the other hand. Now this week I'd like to talk about the encouragement part. 
And then we'll go on, uh, uh, probably in a month or so, to talk about the exhortation, encouragement. The opposite of that looks like Lucy in the Peanuts comic strip. Of course it would look like Lucy, right? The opposite of encouragement. She was talking to Charlie Brown once, and poor old Charlie is standing by the wall, and his arms are up, and he's resting his head, and he's just looking forlornly into into the distance. And Lucy says, discouraged again, huh, Charlie Brown? And I'm sure she emphasized the word again. Discouraged again, yet again. And then she says, do you know what your trouble is? The whole trouble with you is that you're you. Well... What in the world can I do about that, says Charlie Brown. Lucy, I don't pretend to be able to give advice. I merely point out the trouble. A lot of people like that in the church. The whole trouble with you is that you're you. Ever heard that from anyone like that? Or felt that through the way they were talking to you? Ever say something like that to someone else or look at them like that? I have. So easy to write off people because all we can see is what bugs us most, right? The opposite of that is encouragement, especially when you're discouraged. It's like, it's like cold water to a thirsty soul, isn't it? It's like Mark Twain said, I can live for two months on one good compliment. Some people have lived for virtually a lifetime on only a few of them, which is hardly what I call living. That's what happens when you separate yourself from a good fellowship. Such people shrivel up on the inside. They slip slide away and never become all that they were meant to be. Because you see, your encouragement of someone as he is is his greatest motivation for becoming better than he is. Or she. And it's your greatest motivation too and mine when others encourage me. It's like Dale Carnegie said, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, and most fools do. Are you a fool? Encourage one another. Well, what does it look like in practice? Well, this is so important that Paul, in another passage, Philippians 1.9, you might want to flip over there, tells us what it, how to do it, what it means. The New American Standard, in this case, is the best translation, so if you don't have it, you might want to just listen as I read. He says, this I pray, that your love may abound. He's talking about outbursts of love again, right? That your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. He's talking about the knowledge of our brothers and sisters, discernment into them. He's saying, I have a dream for all of you. I'd like your hearts to swell with love for one another by really getting to know each other. I want your love to abound in real knowledge, not just superficial knowledge, and all discernment. And then he says this, of all that you find out about each other as you get to know one another, here's what I want you to focus on. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, here it is, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Bottom line of how we talk to each other, how we relate so that you may approve the things that are excellent. But so often in our marriages or with people at work or our families or at school or with our friends, so often it's just the opposite. The more we get to know them, the more we find ourselves disapproving of them, right? Especially if there's a personality contrast, as there often is in the family. 
more we focus on what's not excellent in their lives. And then we let these things kind of grow and fester and take on a life of their own in our minds. Garbage, dirty thinking, I call it. Until we lose our love because that's all we see in them. I've done it. All of us have done it. We paint, you know, we paint all their warts red. And then shine a light, you know, an infrared light on them that everything else receives and all you see is the red. We throw cold water on what's wrong rather than, 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 than fanning into flame what's right, like logs in a fire, approving the things that are excellent. It's called encouragement, pure and simple. Same concept that we found in Hebrews. It's all over the place in the Bible. To encourage is with loving discernment to approve the things that are excellent as we receive one another warmly with open arms in relationships that are real and regular. Because, I don't know about you, but there's a child in me that's just waiting for someone to say, attaboy. Way to go. You can do it. Good job. Keep up the good work. I'm proud of you. Sure, you blew it, but, but, but that, you're still a great kid. That's not who you really are. That's the flesh in you. The Christ in you is different. And let's talk about how we can bring that out. I mentioned Larry Crabb a little bit earlier. He tells a story, one of my favorites, about when he was in high school. And um, an elder in the church asked him to do the closing prayer for some future event. I think it was about a week away or so. And he was terrified at praying in public, but for some reason that he just decided to do it. And he spent the whole week, you know, working out what he was going to say and practicing it. And, but when he finally got up there, in spite of all his preparation, his mind went blank, which is kind of like, you know, the ultimate terror, right? Number one fear of most people speaking in public. So there he was with a blank mind. And he stuttered around and he got, you know, he said he got the Holy Spirit mixed up with the Father and the Father mixed up with the Son and who knows what else. And as he sat down, this 17-year-old swore that this was the last time he was going to ever pray in public or for that matter to do anything in public. Well, as he walked out, that same elder happened to be standing at the door. And uh, Larry said that he experienced him, you know, to take him for the task for this heretical prayer that he prayed and who knows what else. After all, what could possibly be worthy of praise in such a prayer? Well, the elder looked at him in the eyes and he shook his hand and held his hand. He said, I admire your courage. Keep it up. And those words changed his life to the point that now his career consists of doing that. That's how powerful this thing is. It's supernatural. And it all can happen in places like that, most of all. It happens all through the church, but it's like logs in a fire there. There's just something about a home, isn't there? There's a laboratory for life, for doing life together. There's a greenhouse for love. And we're talking today about what won't happen very deeply or regularly without your being in that kind of place. That's why hospitality is one of the highest virtues in the New Testament. It won't happen unless we open up our homes to welcome one another. 
as many of you already do. So way to go. Keep it up. God's proud of you. If you haven't, and you're interested in doing that, you may think, I don't have any big ministry, you know, nothing powerful happens in my life. Well, I'm going to tell you, your home is the most powerful tool for ministry that there is. Don't have to do anything. Just open it up and it all starts to happen. It really is. To keep us from slip sliding away. As most of you know, we're going to be dividing up into homes for six weeks in a row. It'll start the week of March 13th and then go on through the week of Palm Sunday. And um, for what we're calling 40 Days of Love, we'll be going through what's really become something of a classic, and that is a book by Tom Holliday called The Relational Relationship Principles of Jesus. It's profoundly simple, but also very powerful. And for this to happen, uh, we're going to need some laboratories for life, some greenhouses for love. So if you'd like to help out to open up your home to become a host couple, which is not like leading a small group, just a host couple to enable things to happen. Um, If you'd like to turn your home into one of the most powerful ministry tools that there is, or just find out more about what we're going to be doing, you can sign up on the welcome table uh, in the back. I'll be back there to talk further. We'd love to talk. And just to give you a taste of what uh, you'll be um, making possible, I thought, well, what we're talking about here, a lot of it is in Relationship Principle 3, direct from the life of Christ, communicate from the heart. On day 15, you'll read four pages or so about how communication isn't easy. Day 16, the foundation is trust. Day 17, the connection between mouth and heart. Open mouth, insert heart. Powerful principle. Day 18, a new kind of honesty. Day 19, God is in the conversation when we're gathered together where he is. Day 20, how to be truly heard. Day 21, troubleshooting uh, communication. Well, in addition to that, just to give you a taste of what's coming, I'd like uh, uh, Kathy and Pat Seaboth, would you come on up? Uh, One of our small groups has already done this. How long ago did you guys do it? Like, you finished six months ago or so, right? And I was, remember when I was visiting every small group in the church? Well, six months ago, I visited their small group, and it was the last day of going through this whole thing. And uh, so that's where I got the idea. So if it doesn't work, you can blame Pat and Kathy, okay? And uh, I guess I just have two uh, simple questions. One, what did you most enjoy about reading through that book? And I better give you a microphone here. Well, I'll tell you, Brian, um, the simple fact that God came down from heaven to have a relationship with us speaks about how important relationships are to God. Mm-hmm. The question then is, well, shouldn't they be that important to us? Most of us are not very good at starting, building, nurturing relationships. So um, what do we do? That's why I was so excited to read this book and to learn from the lessons and examples that Jesus put before us. Um, they are really powerful. And they're simple, they're easy, but they really provoke your mind and um, cause you to think about your relationship with God and other people. Now, 
uh, I guess we don't need relationships. A lot of us could live without relationships. Most guys aren't very relational. But um, to be honest, a life without relationships is simple, but it's pretty empty as well. Amen. One more question. Kathy, what did you enjoy most about going through that book and doing it in a small group? Well, you touched a lot about being in a small group in your sermon this morning, and I really think that um, going through this, this book, Jesus talks so much about relationships, and they are very important to him. So, like Pat said, they should be very important to us. And when you're in a small group, you're, you're kind of held accountable. So as you're reading through this six-week six course, you're trying to strive to be a better follower of what Christ is asking you to do. And um, you, then you come together with your small group, and you come together in love and support, and you find that you can be a little bit more honest with yourself and learn and grow through the people that you're learning and growing along with, mm. taking the same study. And so it's, it's really um, ap- applicable. Mm. You learn a lot about yourself, you learn a lot about others, and you are able to apply the principles that Jesus is asking us to learn through uh, what Tom Hall- Holliday has put together in this book. So. Amen. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, guys, as well as the rest of the group. Let's give them a hand. For what we're all saying is way to go. Thank you. Look at what you guys have committed to as doing and will do for all of us. That is just so great. Well, of course, this love was made possible by the one who loved us so much that far from painting all our warts red, you know, far from saying the trouble is that you're you, which God Almighty could easily have done, and he'd be right. Far from telling us, I don't pretend to give advice. You know, I only point out the trouble, which he had the right to do. Far from all that, he died for us. He came to relate to us and then to die, to come into us, to relate to us individually and through us to others so that we could do this, so that we could love too. And of course, we remember his love at communion that the elders or the, the, the uh, ushers would come forward at this time. At communion, when we take the bread and we take in from the cup, when we take those things into us, we're reminded that Christ is now in us to do it through us. If we've prayed to receive him as our Savior, to turn our homes into laboratories for life, to turn them into greenhouses for growth. And so if you're a little bit uncertain about opening up your home, just believe it. If you're a believer, He is now in you to do it through you. And you are sufficient in Him. As John said, we can love because He first loved us. Let's pray together.